When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like... Whoa. And... Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. Everyone gets their cravings while watching the games, and no one wants to be the one to miss the big play. Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. From the extras to the essentials, Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's that late-night snack craving or you forgot to get the paper towels from the grocery store, enjoy convenience delivered right to your door, just in the nick of time, and you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we're here to get you set for the start of mandatory minicamp on Tuesday. So we'll delve into some of the storylines to look out for. Also on NFL.com, they have the biggest remaining questions for all 32 teams. So we'll get into what they laid out for the Giants as well as the other three teams in the NFC East. A lot of ground to tackle and multiple ways for you to interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring at 201-939-4513. Can't get to the phone. You could use hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of the show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. Few announcements right off the top before we get into the discussion. Number one, because of the mandatory minicamp schedule, we are changing the start time of Big Blue Kickoff Live this week. So obviously today we are beginning at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. That will follow through for the remainder of the week. So just note that because there is a slight change with respect to the schedule for mandatory minicamp. And the other thing that's important to note, at least for today's show, is Paul and I are true renaissance men once again, and we're pretty much running a one-band show. So since we don't have assistance on the phones, we're still going to try to take your phone calls, but just know we're going to put you on hold, and you're going to hear the show, and then we will call out lines as opposed to names and locations because we have nobody available today to obviously scan the phone call. So just be patient with us. We're going to try to squeeze in as much interaction as humanly possible. With that being said, Paul, we are now at the end of the road for the offseason program. OTAs are done. Mandatory minicamp Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Then they'll break. So this is essentially the finish line. That is true, Lance. However, even though the mandatory minicamp is a three-day process, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday this week, 
there remains no contact. So once again, I stress to the fans who are anxious to hear about some of the work in the trenches, uh, we just don't have a whole lot to say about that. It is still, as I like to call it, flag football. 100%. And I think that's why even every offseason, as we go through this show year-round, there's only so many observations and takeaways that could be made from the OTA sessions as well as, of course, mandatory minicamp based on what you're saying. But it's good to get an opportunity for the coaching staff to evaluate some of the guys, experiment a little where they can fit in within the scheme. And also, it's important, as we talked about previously last week, players that are coming back from injury, to see them get back on the field, even if it's not running routes and catching balls or if you're a defensive player really going full go, just to get back out on the field. For a guy like Shane Lemieux, for example, Mm -hmm. who missed the bulk of last season with the torn patellar tendon, just to have him scrap the red jersey, right, Paul? I mean, that's a step in the right direction. So those are the types of observations that I think you can at least discuss and take away with respect to this period. Well, no doubt. And as Coach Dayball has said many times in the last couple of weeks during these OTAs, the Giants do have a number of players who are wearing red jerseys as they rehab at various levels of some guys have minor tweaks. Other guys are coming off of major surgeries and major issues from last season, like Sterling Shepard, like uh, um, uh, Matt Parrott, Matt yep. uh, Blake Martinez, you know, uh, Rodarius Williams, certainly a bunch of guys coming off serious stuff. Other guys coming off of minor stuff. But nonetheless, they all get the red jerseys because uh, they're not allowed to do a full participation in OTAs. But I do want to make something clear, Lance. Just because a guy has a red jersey on doesn't mean he's not out of the practice field. In fact, all those guys with red jerseys are out uh, on the sidelines. They do the bikes. They will do different types of workouts with the trainers. And some of them are even doing individual drills and walkthroughs. Even if they don't do the seven-on-sevens or the 11-on-elevens, they are still participating in many of the other activities. So I think that's an important sign for all of these guys, no matter whether or not they have the red jersey. It's still important. For example, Matthew Parrott and Nick Gates, they still come out. They're not like, you know, rehabbing at home or rehabbing in the trainer's room or, or laid up somewhere. Those guys, even though they've got red jerseys on, they still come out and they're doing what whatever it is that they can do, even if it's not 100% full go during these things. That's a positive sign because you and I both know from being around this an awful long time, when guys are not around, if they're told, stay inside, you're taking the magnet therapy or you're taking this or that, we want you off your feet. Those signs usually mean the guy has got some more serious stuff going on and he's a lot further away in his rehab schedule. It also could very well be a sign that the player wants to be engaged with the team as much as perhaps the coaching staff does. Sometimes players, to your point, Paul, they may still be getting significant treatment but they're just making sure that that treatment is scheduled mm-hmm. outside of the practice window. Yeah, that's so, fair also, for sure. And Kadarius Tony's one of those guys. Exactly. Who, by the way, as I've said on, on other shows and, and also when I've done guest spots, let's make something clear. The minicamp, the three-day minicamp this week is mandatory. 
unless you have a, a an excuse from the team. That's true. But all this other offseason stuff is voluntary. And the truth of the matter is, there are literally a couple of handfuls of players who may miss one, two, three days of the spring sessions. As I said many, many times, back in the day, the Giants and many other teams would give an extra bonus or a stipend to a player who could attend a number, usually it was 90%. They would tell a guy, if you could attend 90% of the voluntary off-day session, or off-season uh, off sessions during the spring, we'll give you X number of dollars as an extra bonus or a stipend. That's something teams used to do all the time. An incentive. Exactly. So let's make it very clear, okay, that these voluntary things, it is much to do about nothing when the newspapers cons- you know, consistently take attendance and look for, oh, who's here, who's not here, especially considering that they attend very, very few of these off-season sessions. Remember that. The media is not here for all of them. They're here for very few of them. So just because they didn't see a guy here on a particular day, that might be the only day the guy missed all spring. But because they didn't see him that day, they got to make a big deal and blow it up on Twitter. So, you know, let's put the whole thing in its proper perspective. And by the way, I'll tell you something else, Lance. Because the CBA is as it is, and they do make most of these spring sessions voluntary, I'm one who, like many teams have already started to do in recent years, will write in a large bonus, not just a small in cash incentive, but a large bonus. Oh, you want that $1.5 million bonus come next year? Uh, it's going to be a spring session bonus. You make sure you report to those spring sessions and you'll get that bonus. That's a way you can kind of make it mandatory. Don't let it be a small cash incentive of a couple of thousand bucks. Make it part of the bonuses that this guy signs when he gets his big long-term deal. And then he has more of a reason to obviously show up Bingo. during the course of the offseason program. Simple. But the other thing is, with respect to OTAs in general, I would say the value of them is going to fluctuate depending on a team's situation. And I don't think that gets discussed enough. For example, you're correct. if you're a team and you're implementing a new scheme, okay, I can understand how you would want as many players as humanly possible out there for the voluntary sessions because you have limited time as it is during the offseason and you're learning a new language. Coaches are trying to get to know players, vice versa. Okay, I understand that. But if you're a team, for example, the Kansas City Chiefs with Andy Reid at the helm and Eric Bieniemy, and even with Spags who's been there now for a few seasons, most of the nucleus understands the ins and outs of the scheme. Is that to say that there's absolutely no value to the offseason work? No. But what I'm saying is if you're missing a few key guys, I don't think the coaching staff is going to look around and say, oh, boy, we're in trouble because this was the type of time that we were going to utilize to really get players more and more comfortable when they've been playing within the framework of the strategy for the last few years. So that's the other thing that I think gets lost. Now, for example, the Giants – they fall in the former category that I was talking about because you have mm-hmm. a new coaching staff and a new scheme. So I understand there's a little bit more value having the bulk of the roster on hand for even the voluntary workouts. And let's face it, the roster is young. A lot of guys are still making the transition from college to the pros. They're not that far removed, not just the rookie class this year, but even some of the players from the previous year. So when you take all of that into consideration, 
it's understandable why I think if you were covering the Giants, you would push for as much attendance as possible. But other teams are not on the same wavelength as the Giants, Paul. And that's why I think you have to look at where the team is if you want to have a true conversation about the values and the pros and cons of OTAs. No doubt. No doubt. But you see, to get that deep into the onion, uh, that doesn't get you the clicks on Twitter that you need. No, of course not. Absolutely. And I'm not naive. I completely understand. It was what you were hitting on in terms of coverage sells. If there's a headline that says player X skips OTAs and you don't even put the word voluntary. And hey, a lot of NFL fans are 24-7 fans, which means today there's enough to consume where you can follow football year round. So I think the majority of NFL fans understand there's a distinct difference between mandatory and voluntary when it comes to the CBA and the offseason session. But, Paul, if you're a casual NFL fan and you don't know the ins and outs of the CBA, if you see a headline, player X skips workouts, you're not going to understand they have every right to skip that because they're not required to be there. Or, better yet, you click on the article and then line three has team gave permission to player to not be available for off-season workout. Doesn't that change the conversation? Because the context is very different. I agree. I agree. And speaking of, uh, of the context, uh, one, one of the things that, you know, I've already been, been looking at some of these news items, and NFL.com has uh, a very interesting story about uh, they're picking the teams, uh, the most improved teams in 2022. And, I find that to be rather humorous. Again, I know it's the dark period for news, but we don't even know who the fifty threes are. You know, we're looking at we're looking at the the spring rosters. True, but I think they're doing it based on. I mean, to cut you off, free agency moves, the draft. I think that's what really they're using to weigh. Because I saw that article as well. That yeah, you're to. yeah, and I mean, you know, and and the funny part is they they've got the Eagles as the only NFC East team that's most improved. But you know, at, if you don't believe in Jalen Hurts. <laughs> you know, well, but clearly they must though. Whoever wrote that article, right? I'm assuming obviously he does. Yeah. Obviously he does because if you don't believe in Jalen Hurts, then I don't know that uh, that the other additions that they made, and they've certainly made some good ones. I'm not going to say they haven't. They've added some stuff to the offense. They've added some stuff to the defense, but they still, in my opinion, have a a lower tier quarterback. And until that gets upgraded. I'm not so sure you could put the Eagles on this kind of list. But anyway, uh, that all goes into the context. That list, by the way, Paul, only had about five teams, if memory serves me correctly. Oh, six. Okay. So I was off by one. My apologies. Six teams, and the the Eagles were the only NFC team. Um, But, you know, here's the thing. It's all about the context. And and you you stated it so well because it's everything right now is in context or taken with a grain of salt or in a gray area because until we get to the end of August and we really find out, or for that matter, the first week of September, what these teams truly are going into the regular season, there's got to be a a plus-minus margin for error for any opinion that somebody states about a particular team. Is there anything more annoying than having to run to the store in freezing cold weather? When all you want to do is stream endlessly from the comfort of your couch? Or realizing after just going to three different grocery stores that you forgot the toilet paper and refused to enter yet another parking lot? Wouldn't it be nice to have someone appear with the items you're missing right to your door? 
Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's a craving for something sweet during a commercial break or you forgot those bathroom essentials, Grubhub will deliver anything from the convenience store right to your door. And you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. Especially a team that has made a number of changes on the roster or has a new coaching staff because that's even more of the land of the unknown. You don't know how things are going to come together. And here's another thing which I think relates to your point. I'm not saying not to put stock in reports out of OTAs or not to put much stock in reports out of training camp. But, Paul, we've been covering this sport long enough that there are guys every year who have remarkable off-seasons. Through the roof, they catch every pass. They give you explosive plays of the preseason. Then the regular season comes, and none of that translates. Or they don't even make the roster Mm -hmm. after they were so impressive. So that's another reason why I think – Cautious optimism is the way to view anything that comes out of the offseason in general. You want to see guys active. You want to see them on the field, as we were referencing with respect to injured players or young guys that are getting a lot of work so the coaching staff could evaluate. All of that is great, and that's a positive. But at the end of the day, until we get to the meaningful regular season games and you see maybe the first quarter of the year and you see who's getting the snaps and how the defense and offense has evolved, you really don't have a full great grasp of what a team's outlook is truly going to be. Absolutely. And to be honest with you, Lance, come on. How many times have we seen guys have a kick butt summer and even a preseason? I mean, look. I've I've always I've always kind of joked, and I can because he's a really really good guy. Keith Elias, when he was an undrafted rookie free agent with the Giants out of Princeton, he's now working with the NFL, and and I'm very friendly with Keith, and I can say this because he understands the spirit under which I say it. I used to say he was always All Pro August <laughs> because Keith was really really productive during the preseason. In fact, one year he led the National Football League in rushing during the preseason. But, you know, once the season started, his role was dramatically reduced. And obviously the numbers and the stats and the production also was dramatically reduced. And that's just the way it turned out, you know. Um, But it doesn't take away from the fact that he had some really big games in August and had some really cool runs and put some really great stuff on tape. I won't take that away from him. That's why he's all pro August. And again, I think he understands the spirit under which I say it. Uh, but that that's a great example of taking everything with a grain of salt until the regular season starts. Here's another thing that is important to take into consideration. This relates to the period we're entering, mandatory minicamp over the next three days. As you and I discussed earlier, there are players coming off of injury or there are some players that the coaching staff is saying, hey, We want you to be present, but we're not going to give you X amount of snaps over the next three days because we just don't think it's necessary. So, for example, the wide receiver position I want to focus on here for a second because that's a storyline. People are always curious who's competing for the fifth spot, the sixth spot. Hey, maybe they keep seven wide receivers. And we've seen over the course of OTAs, C.J. Board has received a lot of work. Wondell Robinson, obviously, because he's a rookie. Mm -hmm. Richie James. I'm throwing out names. Robert Foster. David Sills. David Sills. Okay. And Sills has been on the team 
over the last few three years, years. At least during the course yeah, of the offseason program. So you're going to hear about wide receivers on a daily basis making plays, flashing here or there. However, Paul, a few months from now, they're going to finalize the 53-man roster. And Corey Coleman, I'm going to use that as Exhibit A. If you wow. remember two years ago, sure. right? Corey Coleman had maybe outstanding is too strong of a word, but he stood out, okay, during sure the course did. of training camp. And Corey Coleman was eventually cut. And the reaction was, wait a minute, what the hell is going on here? Corey Coleman every day seemed to make a deep pass. He stood out. What exactly was going on? My point is there are guys that are, yeah, I'm going to use the term placeholder. And what I mean by placeholder, it's not a negative connotation, Paul. It's the fact that players ahead of them on the depth chart are not available to take as many snaps. They're not fully healthy. So the coaching staff is going to throw other players in, and it's their job to obviously take full advantage of it. But the coaching staff in the back of their mind knows, hey, we have, assuming these guys are fully healthy to start the season, we know who our top three guys are. And we may even know who our fourth guy is. So the eighth guy or the ninth guy is getting a lot of work. But realistically, it's going to be very hard for them to make the 53 assuming the guys ahead of them are ready to go week one. So that's what I mean by it's great to see a lot of these players get work, but realistically, there are other players ahead of them on the depth chart, and I wouldn't read too much into what they're doing on a daily basis because the bottom line is the full platter, meaning the full wide receiver core, is not accessible. So therefore, of course, they're going to get more snaps and more work mm -hmm. at this time period. I'll, I'll give you another guy who has often come up with some really terrific plays during camp, and he's been here a few years now, Alex Bachman. Sure. Think about it now. I want to say he got here in 1920. This has got to be his fourth year. And, you know, with all due respect, and I, and I don't mean, again, I don't mean to demean him in any way, but his highlights in a Giants uniform, I think we would all agree, have basically come during practice or during the offseason program. Without hesitation. Right? And you're right. 2019 was the year he was undrafted, briefly with the Rams, and then he joined the Giants practice squad in November. But and, this is year four based on the calendar. And, again, I respect that because you know what? I've never put on a helmet and a uniform and gone out there at any time during the course of the year and made plays on an NFL practice field. So I do not disparage him or David Sills or any of these other guys. In fact, I have great respect for them to do what they've done, to continue to forge forward, to have the drive and the determination to try to make the 53. And they keep coming back year after year after year. And they show enough that the team says, yeah, come on back. We'll let you in the building. We'll let you get on the practice field because you're not a waste of time. In fact, you have something to offer us. And whether or not it's enough to make the 53, well, let the chips fall where they may come September. Uh, so anyway, and there's one other thing I, I, wanted to, I wanted to kind of stick in here just before I forget, Lance, because I, I easily could – Romeo Cornell just retired today, and and I, I want to just Should bring this up. Should the Ravens be concerned what that Lamar Jackson is that? absent? Uh, there's a computer on. It sounds like there's a computer there on. There was a computer yes. on. My my bad. All good. Um, Apparently, they're not happy about Romeo Cornell retiring. <laughs> <laughs> I want to mention this because, you know, obviously, I, I knew Romeo very well when he was with the Giants. 
Uh, he was here. He predates me when I started in 83. He had already been here for a couple of years as the special teams coach. Uh, then after that first Super Bowl they won in 86, the second Super Bowl in 90, uh, he was the defensive line coach. And I want to say he was with the Giants for at least a, a, a decade, probably maybe a dozen years, uh, has had many a trips around the NFL since then in a variety of roles. But, of course, he was one of the guys who was one of the main foundations of the Bill Parcells tree. Romeo was a football lifer, a really, really good guy. Players love playing for him. Uh, had a tremendous amount of respect around the league. And I want to say now, what did I just read? After 30 years in the NFL, uh, he has actually finally decided to retire. I feel bad that in his short opportunities to be a head coach in this league, whether it was an interim basis or he actually had the job over his years with uh, Cleveland, Kansas City, and Houston, it never really worked out. He's one of those guys who you'll always say was a great assistant coach a great member of some winning staffs and, and championship staffs. Obviously, he was with Parcells in New England as well. Uh, but unfortunately, as a head coach, it never really worked out for him. I just want to congratulate Romeo Cornell, who was, again, a great football guy, hell of a nice guy, and, and somebody who whose players will always hold, hold him in fond memories because he was that kind of person and coach. That just, 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 I can't say enough about him. So I wish him well. 50 years of coaching, by the way, in football, because before joining the NFL, he was at the collegiate level for many years. Go back to 1970 when he was the Western Kentucky defensive line coach. And he was with the Giants for well over a decade. He was first their special teams coach in the 80s, then became their defensive line coach, was with New England. You mentioned his brief stints as the head man. Tough situations, right? Cleveland, 05 through 08, they were obviously still in their ups and downs. And Kansas City, he took over late in 2011 and then got the gig in 2012. And then they moved on and then briefly took over the Texans on an interim basis. It's interesting you said he retired because for the last two years, he was actually the senior advisor for football performance for the Texans. He had stepped down mm -hmm. as the defensive coordinator and assistant head coach a few years ago. So I always thought he was going to sort of take a back seat, and I thought he essentially retired about two years ago, meaning from a coaching perspective, meaning he'd hang out as a part of the front office and still advise here or there. But my guess is he's now completely stepping away. I'd be curious. I didn't read an article with the formal announcement, but I'm wondering whether or not he's actually going to still help Lovey Smith out to a certain degree as maybe an advisor with the Houston Texans. That'll be interesting to see because, once again, when you announced that, I was like, really, Romeo Cornell retired? I thought he retired already about two years ago. <laughs> well, he's been he's been out of the spotlight and off the sure. sidelines, so I could understand that. I mean, I remember when Bill Parcells finished up his NFL career uh, as a administrator and then an advisor with the Miami Dolphins. And, you know, it was kind of weird because you didn't really hear, see, or, or know much about what Bill was doing. But those last couple of years with the Dolphins, he was in the background. He was in the shadows. And I think that's kind of how it was for Romeo. And that's why I wouldn't be surprised if he still consults, perhaps, with some of his former colleagues or still the Houston Texans. But heck of a career longevity-wise on the college and oh, the goodness. NFL levels. And again, I can't tell you what a great guy. What an absolutely great, great guy. 
I, I don't think you will ever find a player who will tell you they were not fond of Romeo Cornell. I, I mean, I can't say enough about the guy. And my goodness, you don't stay around the game. I mentioned the NFL for like 30 not. years. You don't stay around the game for 50 years unless you are very well respected. Yeah. Well, and that's why, which is what you were alluding to, the unfortunate part is considering how well players relate to him and his personality, it is said that he never really got to become a head coach for a lengthy period of time. But I think if you were to ask me, well, why didn't it click? He was just in tough situations. Remember, when you're coming from New England, how many times have we seen this? Assistance for Bill Belichick. They pay their dues. They have success. And then all of a sudden, another team comes calling. But why is another team come calling? Another team's coming calling because they're trying to desperately turn things around. So you're walking into a situation. It's very rare in the NFL, you walk into a situation, and maybe Josh McDaniels, Paul, I know we're getting a little bit off topic, but it's somewhat related. Maybe McDaniels is going to be the exception because I think he's going to a situation which is very promising. You have a quarterback at Derek Carr. You've got a pretty good roster. They've spent some money. So he can actually go in and win. Other New England assistants have gone to teams where you don't necessarily have the quarterback. You don't have perhaps a team that has won over the last few seasons. So Cornell went to a Cleveland team, which was not in a very good place. And then the other two circumstances is somebody ahead of him on the depth chart is fired. He has to take over. If memory serves me correct, that Kansas City team in 2011 handed the Packers their first loss of the year. Because mm -hmm. remember, that was the year where obviously the Giants went up against Green Bay, but Green Bay was looking like it was going to run the table. And then Kansas City, of all teams, Cornell takes over late in the year. They handed Green Bay. The loss. Yep, so, I mean, he provided a spark here or there for his teams. It just, it never came to fruition long term because they were difficult circumstances. And what do we talk about? A big part of life, microcosm with the NFL. Timing and environment. And that's how sometimes coaches all of a sudden hang around for seven, eight years, maybe even a decade. The timing and the environment just was not ideal more often than not for Romeo Cornell when it came to a head coaching situation. Yeah, no question. And, and I, I think it's pretty, pretty unfair of folks who will look at a guy's, you know, head coaching record and immediately they'll say, oh, you know, he didn't win and they'll dismiss him. Well, you're a thousand percent correct. You have to look at what was the roster, what was the circumstances, what was going on around it, what players was he given, blah, 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 blah. There's a lot that goes into it, much like when we talk about uh, a quarterback's one-loss record. It's just dumb. It's bogus. Not enough context. Not enough. Not enough. Uh, and, and here's the thing. I think we would all admit there are times, all right, don't, don't get me wrong, there were times where guys are not really good head coaches and it doesn't work out because they weren't really qualified for the job or they didn't do a very good job, and sometimes it really is their fault. Okay? I understand that. I'm not saying it's all always this way. But you have to look at each coach's situation individually and then look at the whole picture, peel back all the layers of the onion, and then – make an evaluation. Don't just blanket evaluate if a guy gets fired. I remember, I mean, how many times did Lovey Smith go to the playoffs? I mean, he won 10 games his last year, right, when he got canned? You talking about with the Chicago Bears? Yeah. He had a number of good seasons. Heck, he took a team to a Super Bowl. I mean, is anybody seriously going to tell me that Lovey Smith is not a good pro football head coach? I, I won't accept that. I just won't.
You know, I mean, there are times a guy gets fired just because, oh, it's not that he's cap- not capable of being a good head coach. It's because of a lot of other things that went on and just made, made, it, made it intolerable to continue, and they had to make a move. Sometimes he didn't do a good job. In, in Romeo's case, I tend to think more often than not, he was just in a, in a real tough situation. Well, and you know what gets overlooked? I'm actually looking a little bit closer at Cornell's resume, similar to Lovey. He had a 10-6 and six season in one of his four years in Cleveland. Derek Anderson was his starting quarterback. So you look at that <laughs> you think, roster. You think that was easy? <laughs> no, not at all. The problem is, like anything else in the NFL, what did they do the following season? They went 4-12. and 12. It's hard to duplicate that. And then he was obviously fired and let go after that year. But he did, which is very rare in Cleveland, win double-digit games. And actually, to put things further in perspective, when you look at what went on in Cleveland, and it wasn't until really Kevin Stefanski came in and had that successful season. But remember, they had a step back, right, last season. The last time previously, before you had Kevin Stefanski take over, with respect to the success of having actually scratching the surface of a 10-win season, was... Guess who? Romeo Cornell in was. 2007. Yeah. Stefanski okay. went 11-5 and five in 2020. So if you were to ask somebody previously, before Stefanski, last time the Browns won double-digit games, it was Romeo Cornell in 2007. Wow. I, I, you know what? I, I did not know that. I don't I, think a lot of people remember and that. I, and I don't know that I could have guessed that correctly, to be frank with you. But, uh, hey, I, I, just, I just want to take a few minutes to sure. kind of extol his virtues because – Again, I mean, uh, I've been doing this a long time. He is just one of the nicest, most well-respected people that I've come across in this business, and I salute him. And he's part of Giants history. No so question. So it's absolutely relevant given the circumstances. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live. If you are tuning in right now, considering for our live audience, we have just past the noon Eastern hour. We are starting the show at 11.30 a.m. Eastern this week to accommodate the mandatory minicamp schedule. We are taking your phone calls, 201-939-4513. Can't get to the phones, hashtag Giants chat, but it's really a solo act with Paul and I today. We do not have our entire production team. So if you do give us a ring, we're going to put you on hold. Nobody's going to be able to pick up and ask you what you're calling about, where you're from, but we will get to you. We're going to say a line, not a name. You'll hear a click, and then you'll be able to join us on the program. So we just ask to preach patience a little bit and understanding as we take you up till 12.30 p.m. Eastern on today's show. We are setting the stage for mandatory minicamp. We're getting into some of the storylines, why you can't read too much in to the activities around this time of the year because there's no contact, and there are a number of players that are still sidelined, so there's only so much you can read into the depth chart. Now, you brought up an NFL.com article which was talking about most improved teams. The article that encompassed the entire league, Paul, which I found interesting, Mm -hmm. and this was put together... Within the last month, it was written by Mark Sessler, biggest remaining offseason priority for each NFC team. And they went through every single team and had a question mark based on the given status of the roster. And I still think this is certainly relatable considering we're entering the last phase of the offseason program uh, and then all of a sudden anybody to we're going to be with the hopes within the, the training camp process. And the Giants, Except, their big question, I don't think this is necessarily stunning and I don't think it's going to surprise anybody, but they list top priority 
fill your James Bradbury-sized void. And we've talked a lot about that topic since the Giants cut ties with James Bradbury. Now, pretty strong statement. And remember, these are NFL.com's words. These are not necessarily the words of the masses who are covering the National Football League. But I just want to read what their synopsis is so that you understand. Because I could read you a headline, and it doesn't necessarily tell the whole story. Okay. Quote, chalk it up as a promising first offseason for new GM Joe Shane. His lever pulls vastly upgraded an offensive line that operated as a disaster in recent years. That's good news for Daniel Jones, whose fifth-year option was declined by Shane with obvious input from Coach Brian Dable and a calculated bit of self-scouting. It wasn't all perfect, though. His big blue largely botched matters with Bradbury, ultimately cutting the cornerback after failing to find the trade partner for his massive salary. The position is now a mess beyond the Dory Jackson with unproven 2021 third-rounder Aaron Robinson the next man up. Rookie Cordell Flott and 2021 sixth-rounder Rodarius Williams could see serious snaps if the G-men don't nab a veteran or two, end quote. So a pretty strong take with respect to the secondary based on NFL.com's article about the biggest off-season question marks priorities that still need to be addressed. And hey, we make no bone about it, Paul. We've talked about there's a lot of inexperience beyond Dory Jackson, so I don't think that's a stretch. And it is show-me time. It is prove-it time. And we're not going to learn, I think, a lot truly about this group until we get to the early stages of the regular season. But if they don't bring in a proven veteran, expectations have to be kept in check because it's not like there's pro bowlers and all pros walking around free agency right now. So, right? I mean, and we went through on previous shows, we went through some of the guys. And there is a guy that you could sign to a one-year contract who could come in as a mentor and maybe get some snaps. I'm not saying that's not realistic, but... I've been a proponent of saying, I think there's a year that you want to give as many snaps to these young guys as humanly possible because that's the only way that they're going to develop and get a good grasp of clearly what the system calls for them to do. So I would not have any issue if they go all in and say, opposite of Dory Jackson, it's going to be a youth movement and there's going to be some growing, po- growing pains. But you know what? At the end of the day, We're going to learn the true colors of these individuals. And if they choose to do that, I have absolutely no problem with that. Well, you know, I get it. And if that's the way they go, that's fine. If they decide that, as I've said before, bringing in a veteran to be a big brother and to be an insurance policy, uh, I'd love to see them do that, too. I've you've heard me mention Desmond Trufant on a number of occasions on this program. I think he fits the role and would come at a very inexpensive cost. But if if they really think, if Wink Martindale, and he's already been very effusive in his praise for uh, some of these young defensive backs, if he thinks that Robinson and Williams can provide the necessary depth opposite Jackson, I'm not going to question him on it. I mean, Fine. If if he he's willing to put his neck out on the line and say, I think these guys could do it. I've, I've seen enough. Uh, I've seen some tape. I've seen these guys here in the offseason program. Uh, I want to rock and roll with these guys during the preseason. Maybe he'll need more evidence before deciding whether or not they want to bring in a veteran, maybe for week one or maybe for week two after the non-guaranteed contracts come into play. That could also happen, too. Just because they they don't sign anybody else, you know, before training camp doesn't mean they won't add a veteran at some point over the uh, next month following 
Yeah. Or somebody that's cut last second, right? Absolutely. As the 53-man roster is finalized. Meaning, right now, somebody appealing may not be available, Paul. All of a sudden, the conversation changes at the tail end of August, early September, when players are being cut left and right. So that's another thing to watch out for. And in fairness, they already did bring in a few veterans who have connections to the Ravens system. For example, Maurice Kennedy. Uh However, a lot of those guys that they did bring in, a bulk of their work was also on special teams. So they weren't necessarily every down cornerbacks, which is why, of course, context is important. Let me throw this out. I would not consider him part of that veteran insurance policy mantra that I was trying to push. I I, I don't think he counts there. Well, Michael Jaquette is another guy, but Mm -hmm. he doesn't necessarily have Baltimore ties. So there were like two or three guys. I guess what I was saying is players that – weren't just drafted. That's what I meant that were brought in. But no, I don't necessarily think Wink Martindale was saying, okay, now we've solidified that veteran presence and there's no room to maybe upgrade there. It's just if he wanted somebody in the room right now during the offseason who has familiarity, who could be an extension of the coaching staff and could also, you know, help on special teams, which you know you have to do, especially if you're not going to be an every down starter in the secondary, those players I do think fit that bill. Well, I think he probably feels that Dorsey is coming over here from Baltimore for that very reason, too, to help guys go over the playbook and answer some questions. I don't necessarily know if he views Dorsey, though, as a, quote, insurance policy, but I don't think there's any doubt that he's here to help smooth out some of the rough spots. So the other part of this, which just really dawned upon me that I think is a fair conversation to have because you were talking about there may be value to bring in a veteran free agent to have as an insurance policy in case one of the young guys gets hurt. And also because maybe you're not ready to have one of the young guys fully spread their wings early in the season. Maybe week four, week five, you'll feel differently about one of these younger players who hasn't logged a lot of snaps. But let me pose this to you. If you're Wink Martindale, you just came in as the defensive coordinator and continuity we talk about is a key to have success in the NFL. Building through the draft is important. So if you know, not to say there's not an urgency for this team to improve and it's a result-oriented business, don't get me wrong, but I think if you're Wink Martindale and Brian Dable, you know it's not the end-all, be-all, that if you don't win 12 games this season, all of a sudden you're on rocky ground. So you have a little leeway is my point. Wouldn't it be beneficial if you know this is the group based on the structure of the contract, right? A lot of these young guys... I mentioned 2020 to 2022, they were drafted. So it's not like you have four or five guys that are on expiring contracts, Paul, and you know next year you're going to have a completely new secondary group. You're going to be working with these guys, it's fair to say. So isn't it important then to use this year as the year to build that connection, throw those guys out there, experiment so that you feel even better about what you're going to be coming back with into next offseason, and you could have this group grow and mature simultaneously as opposed to bringing in a placeholder for a year or two and they're not in your long-term plans. Well, I think that holds a lot more water if you believe that there is a significant substance there. I mean, if, if he can already tell from his experience, and I'm talking about Wink, that Robinson is legit. And you know what? I think Rodarius Williams probably just needs some seasoning. Well, if he really, really strongly has confidence in those guys, then what you're saying makes 10 times more sense because then you're talking about a legitimate gamble or risk 
in putting strong faith and snaps in those guys with the anticipation that they will grow and mature into something very, very good over the next year. If by the end of July, Wink Martindale does not necessarily feel that strong about one of those two guys, then you could certainly say they're probably better off going in the other direction and trying to grab somebody off the street, or for that matter, somebody who gets cut. Look, I remember back in the 90s season, when in the last cut, the Chicago Bears cut safety Dave Dorson, who, as we all know, was part of that ferocious Chicago Bears defensive run. And all of a sudden, he gets cut in that last cut. And Parcells is like, I want this guy. And lo and behold, between that last cut and the opening day roster, Dave Dorson comes to the Meadowlands. The Giants signed him in a heartbeat, and he became the dime back on that 1990 Super Bowl championship team. You know, he was not a, quote, regular, because in those days the dime back played a little bit less than they do now. But, you know, Dave Dewison was here for his veteran leadership, his experience, his championship pedigree, and the fact that he hit like a ton of bricks. And and Parcells will tell you, Dewison was an important addition that they were very, very fortunate to get because the Bears had given up on him in the final cut. So, you know, if somebody like that kind of springs free at whatever time on the calendar he springs free and Wink says, hmm, that's a guy I really believe in, he's got to go get him, regardless of what the younger players may show him over the course of the summer. Uh, I don't know if that player will pop free or if that player is on the street now and has simply said, I don't want to come back and play right now. I'm going to wait to sign my deal until mid-July. Maybe maybe he's already got somebody in mind. I don't know the answer to that. Very possible. But these young kids, what they need to do is put their best foot forward, obviously, every single day that they're here to try to eat away at any doubts Wink might have that would prompt him to go to Joe Shane and say, I need you to make a phone call because I don't know that we have enough. Well, but I think part of that, Paul, is these young guys, you mentioned they have to put their best foot forward. But in order to put your best foot forward, you got to play. You got to get out on the field. Okay? It's to the point where mental reps and evaluating a guy mm-hmm. through that lens is only going to show you so much. Well, that's why the preseason is going to be huge. Yeah. Huge. And, you know, we talk about the offensive line, and, and I've said on this program many times, I'm in favor of giving the regulars, especially the, the starting five offensive linemen, as they see them to be. They need to play a lot in the preseason for me. I'm, I'm not moving off of that. I think they need to play a lot for chemistry purposes. Conversely, I believe that secondary, not just for chemistry purposes, but to find out who the heck these people are. You need to know what kind of player is Aaron Robinson really going to be? What kind of player is Rodarius Williams going to bring to the field when he sees significant preseason snaps? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking that those two position groups, they need to play a lot in those three games, Lance, and I'm not moving off of it. No, and I'm completely with you. Well, also the fact that it's new schemes across the board. So whether you're a veteran or a young guy, it doesn't hurt to get actually some regular 
game action before the meaningful games begin. I have no problem with that, but I just want to put things in perspective for our audience, why I'm continuing to emphasize, and clearly it sounds like you're on the same page with me, how it's so important for these guys simply to play, okay? I'm not talking about getting them to an all-pro level. I'm just saying get them out on the field. If you played over 95% of the snaps last season as a secondary member, Paul, Mm -hmm. you logged, I'm using... Xavier McKinney, because he played over 96% of the snaps. He logged over 1,100 snaps, okay? Now, let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum. Rodarius Williams, and granted he got hurt, but this is to emphasize my point. Rodarius Williams played 4% of the defensive snaps last season. You know how many snaps he played? On defense, not special teams. played 50 snaps. Right. So McKinney played 1,100 Williams played 50. Aaron Robinson, slightly higher. He played 22% of the snaps, mm-hmm. 268 snaps right. compared to 1,100. And 1,100 is the bar for a regular every game starter. And you look at the rookies, clearly, that are coming in this year. They haven't logged anything. So we're now up to four or five players that barely know what it's like to be out on an NFL field in a regular season game. Sure. It's more of a reason why I'm saying play these guys and don't hesitate because that's the only way that you're truly going to learn about what they could do to your point. And then secondly, they're going to get a taste of what they need to do to maybe improve or maybe everything that they've worked hard to do over the course of the offseason is starting to pay off and the game has started to slow down for them. I concur. And by the way, to the two callers who just tried to get in, uh, we were still talking and we we couldn't get to you. Again, we can't punch you up and put you on hold. If you'd like to buzz back, we'll we'll get you up as soon as possible. Is there anything more annoying than having to run to the store in freezing cold weather when all you want to do is stream endlessly from the comfort of your couch? Or realizing after just going to three different grocery stores that you forgot the toilet paper and refused to enter yet another parking lot? Wouldn't it be nice to have someone appear with the items you're missing right to your door? Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's a craving for something sweet during a commercial break or you forgot those bathroom essentials, Grubhub will deliver anything from the convenience store right to your door. And you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. We're going to put you on hold. You're not going to hear anybody pick up the phone and ask you what your name is and where you're from. But that doesn't mean that we're not monitoring that. And then we're going to bring you up. So once again, if you're calling in, we're going to put you on hold. But just be patient. You're not going to hear anybody address the phone call. And then we will bring you up based on a line. No, you just hear a dial tone is what you hear. I can't pop them on hold, Lance, unless I actually answer the phone. So they'll just get a dial tone. It'll keep ringing. Let it keep ringing until we get to you. Okay, I thought, see, now I'm glad you clarified that. I thought you were putting them on hold. So they were getting on hold, and then no, they would bring them up. Okay. I'd, have to, I'd actually have to punch them up first to put them on hold, and that would not go very well. It would be very dis- disjointed. Okay, fair enough. Well, two zero one nine three nine four five one three is the number regardless. Hashtag Giants chat as well. Now, getting back to what I was talking about, right before we were interrupted by the technical side of things with respect to the show, I was pointing out the number of snaps, Paul. And I think sometimes when we talk about young guys, they're not battle-tested. It's one thing to say that as a generic line. It's another thing when you see the sizable differential in snap count from last season. And that is a monstrous differential that I just read. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I just no one's going to argue that. Look, when I when I sat down with Rodarius Williams a few weeks ago to do the uh, the spot that we did for the huddle, he was literally about to jump on top of the table. This guy was chomping at the bit, so excited to play. And I had quoted to him. I said, I, I don't know if you knew the count, but you appeared in five games last year before you tore up, tore up uh, your knee, and, and it amounted to 50 snaps. And, oh, he knew. He knew because he relished every one of those snaps and can't wait to get more. Uh, the younger players, the Robinsons and the Williamses of the world, trust me, Lance, uh, they can't wait to show whatever it is that they've got to bring to the table. They want to play a ton of preseason snaps. These guys are not, you know, eight, nine-year veterans who maybe are like, oh, you know, preseason game, hmm, uh, whatever. No, 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 no. These young guys are eager. They're hungry. They're anxiously looking forward to show Wink Martindale as much as they possibly can on the field against an opponent so that they can earn their keep. And he's just, I'm, I'm, I can't even begin to tell you how much enthusiasm. You, you hear it in the interview. If anybody listened to it, you hear it. This guy is absolutely bouncing off the ceiling, wanting to get 100% clearance so that he can put some stuff on tape for this coaching staff. And it should be like that for everybody in the secondary. I can't think of another situation and I'm sure maybe there's another position on another team where maybe there's a lot of youth. But I'm feeling great. If I'm a guy like Radarius Williams, but once again, I think this holds true for undrafted guys. Jaron Williams is another guy I would throw in. Because sure. How many teams do you go to when you're a young player? And both of them fall under that umbrella. You look at who's ahead of you, and you're like, geez, Louise, I got two starting polished corners I got a young guy who's playing the slot. We got two versatile safeties. I mean, heck, I'm not even maybe sixth or seventh at this point. And you think it's overwhelming for you to get a defensive snap. You're looking at yourself, hey, if I'm going to make a name for myself, it's going to be on special teams. If I'm Radarius Williams, if I'm Jared Williams, it's not outrageous to say you could be a regular rotational player if you actually prove to the coaching staff. So, that's what's intriguing about this position group. If you have a great attitude and you look at this at a golden opportunity pace, then it could be extremely rewarding for you this season because other than Adoree Jackson and McKinney, there's not a lot of other guys that I'm putting in with pen type of ink when it comes to the depth chart here. I'm having a pencil and an eraser out right now. Sure. If I'm the coaching staff, when I'm putting the different parts together together, on this depth chart. I'll give you one more spot. Who's the third running back? We know Barkley and Breeder are one and two. We know Barkley's had injury history. But who's number three? Is it Gary Brightwell, who was brought here as a special teams ace coming out of college? Is it Antonio Williams, who was brought down from Buffalo as one of the very first guys that this new administration wanted to import when they got to East Rutherford? Or is it Jay Sean Corbin, who, coming out of Florida State this year, didn't get drafted, but has put some pretty good stuff on tape at the NCAA level? Those are three guys, and I don't, I don't necessarily know that Sandro Platzgummer, uh, you know, is, merits a, a heavy consideration. I, I don't know. I don't want to disparage him, but there's going to be a big battle for that third running back spot. 
and not knowing if Saquon Barkley is going to stay healthy, that third running back may actually wind up getting some snaps this year. 100%. And Platzgummer, who was an international player last season, remember, you know, now he's fighting for a roster spot. It's a little bit different with respect to having the luxury of where he was labeled last season. So, yeah, he's clearly a long shot. I mean, he's far from being a lock, but I wouldn't eliminate him. Antonio Williams, I think, has a leg up, Paul, because of his ties to the Bills organization, his familiarity with respect to Brian Dable and some members of the coaching staff. Jayshon Corbin is a rookie. Brightwell is a young guy who was mainly a special teamer, and it's a new coaching staff and a new management. So you can't say that he has a leg up simply because he was on the roster last year. Yeah, I would absolutely say it's very similar to the secondary. It's just the difference in the secondary is there's more jobs up for grabs in yes, the secondary. I would agree with that. Because of the volume of players. And, Running back, it's just one guy we're talking to about. To some degree, even though I think we all know that, uh, you know, uh, Martinez is, is going to be there, obviously. Tay Crowder is obviously going to be on, on this roster. Uh, if you consider... Uh, Thibodeau, a linebacker, you'll, you you could put him in that category too. But but beyond that, okay, Beavers came in this draft. McFadden came in this draft. We know that Roche and Coughlin are holdovers. We know Ellison Smith has barely had any regular season snaps. Cam Brown has not played a whole ton from scrimmage. You know, he's been a special teams guy, really, really good there, but hasn't had a lot of, of scrimmage. We know that Zimenez, you know, has has really had a tough time uh, either getting on the field or producing when he does get in games. This linebacker battle behind the top guys that are automatically on the roster. I mean, even Jihad Ward, uh, who's got connections to, uh, to Wink. Yep. I mean, this linebacker battle... Past those three guys, Thibodeau, Martinez, and Crowder, and Ojolari, of course. Those four guys are on the team. But beyond that, honestly, could you really put down, you know, a, a couple of 24-karat gold bars and tell me that anybody else is a lock to be the next guy on that depth chart? Not at all. There's tremendous opportunity on the second layer of the linebacking core because it's very similar to how we're talking about the secondary. What's the common element with all these guys? They were pretty much drafted between 2020 and this year. So some of it is we've seen flashes. Other guys have mainly been special teamers. Some got an opportunity because Blake was hurt last year. Yeah, it's going to be a revolving door during the course of the offseason and the preseason. They're going to try to play these guys as much as humanly possible. And, hey, let the top talent rise to the top. But they're not going to be able to keep everybody. Some of them are eligible to go on the practice squad because of the extensive rules that have been in place over the last few years where you don't necessarily just have to be a rookie. You can be a veteran. All of them might be, yeah. to be frank with True. you. With yeah, the way they've absolutely. opened the doors on that list. And, well, and the other thing I was getting to is not just eligible, but reasonable to actually get on the practice squad. Remember, those are two different things, Paul, right? I could tell you right. the guy's eligible, but then maybe he's done enough that in all likelihood somebody's going to claim him, mm -hmm. which means you're going to throw that out the window. But if you fall under the umbrella of a, the rules apply where you can be on the practice squad, and B, you're not necessarily a known commodity that in all likelihood you'll pass through waivers and you'll get on. Those are the guys that I'm looking at because right. you have to be very cautious sometimes when you get rid of a guy and you're saying to yourself, oh, don't worry, we're going to bring him back on the practice squad, and then what happens? All of a sudden, another team and their scouting department was very high on him during the draft process, or maybe even last year they missed out on him. They still have that player on their radar, 
and just like that, your hopes of getting on the practice squad have completely dissipated. So right off the bat, I'm going to tell you, I think if Ellison Smith or Quincy Roche and maybe even Cam Brown, of the holdover guys, I'm not talking about any of the new fellas, yeah. of the holdover guys, any of those three guys, I could see somebody scapping them up pretty quickly. Well, Roche, remember, was let go by the Steelers and the Giants claimed him. So there's an example. No doubt. Without a doubt. And and Quincy Roche has something to offer an NFL team. He is a, definitely a 53-man roster worthy player. And listen, at this point, if you're in the NFL, you're familiar with a lot of players. I wonder, though, and I know it was a short period of time because he was only in Steelers camp for the summer before then the Giants wound up claiming him. But I'm assuming that Wink probably has some familiarity, no, considering he was on a team within the division. Normally, you are monitoring the personnel on your divisional rivals' teams, even though, once again, they didn't play each other in the preseason. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if Wink may have gotten a taste of Quincy based on who they saw join Steelers camp last summer. Possibly. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked. You know, I would think you're yeah, keeping close tabs on some of those guys. Yeah, well, and, and again, we know that Joe Shane was very involved in the college prospect scouting, drafting uh, yeah. when he was with Buffalo. So I'm sure that Shane probably has some pretty extensive information on all these young guys who have come into the Giants system in the last couple of years. Well, and that's one of the things that actually we didn't discuss in great detail, and maybe let's end here because I think that's an interesting point you brought up, Paul. Normally when you join a new team, whether you're a coach or a front office executive, if you're walking into a team which is a veteran roster, yeah, you probably obviously have familiarity with the players. You've seen them in NFL games, or maybe you were around long enough that you did scout them, but you're far removed from the scouting process. Since this roster is so young, a number of these players, and the reason why this is important is because a lot of the players on the Giants roster, as we were going over some snap counts, especially on the defensive side of the ball, there's not a lot of NFL film. So even if you think you know the player, you can't pop in week seven of the 2021 season. Oh, let me see what the guy did. There's not a lot to go by. So actually having that extra knowledge from the college scouting process since they were only drafted maybe a year or two back is a nice foundation to have mm -hmm. in addition to what you're seeing now up close and personal during the course of offseason. Brian workouts. Dable just the other day admitted that he had done some work when he was with the Bills on Shane Lemieux a couple of years ago. Yeah, and Shane even talked about, too, meeting with mm -hmm. Bobby Johnson. Exactly. When the Bills were looking at him. So so there is going to be somewhat of a frame of reference in all likelihood to any of these players who have come onto the Giants roster in the last two years. few reminders before we wrap up shop here. Giants season tickets are on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925. For this one, visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. All right, that is going to wrap up. Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. A reminder, we'll be back up and running again on Tuesday, but we'll start 30 minutes earlier at 11.30 a.m. Eastern to accommodate 
the beginning of the mandatory minicamp schedule. We appreciate everybody tuning in as today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Latino, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we'll speak to you on Tuesday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one. Everyone gets their cravings while watching the games, and no one wants to be the one to miss the big play. Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. From the extras to the essentials, Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's that late-night snack craving or you forgot to get the paper towels from the grocery store, enjoy convenience delivered right to your door, just in the nick of time, and you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.